0: Julie Hampton and Julie E. Hampton CPAPC have been your trusted sources for local tax preparation,
1: payroll, and business services for more than 20 years.
0: Do you have a tax strategy heading into 2019? You should. Well, unless you like being in trouble. Do you like being in trouble, Jason? Uh, No, but I'm remarkably good at it, regardless of whether I have a tax strategy or not. Well, look, if you have a bad tax strategy or no tax strategy at all, there's one person in town that can help you. And that's julia hampton call her today she's right in the heart of downtown call her at
1: 816-554-0394 so yeah the what draws me to it is just it's fun right and and I, it sounded corny when i was explaining to me the time but it was kind of neat that Uh, for that recycling event it was us and maybe three or four other businesses just got together and we were able to pull off this event that i think was a benefit to the community and um it was just neat to see that to see a couple businesses take you know one one weekend out of their their month or their year to to just do something good for the community and it sounds corny but uh, and i don't really know how to articulate it very well but um, just—it's it, worth it. And so, if, if you have a small business here in town, or even a big business, find some events like that that you can be a part of. This
0: is Seth Kukuskie. Takkoski welcome thank you for joining community voices thanks for having me appreciate it I brought you in you are a fellow um, sometimes bridge space user
1: <laughs> yeah I think I'm here enough that they're probably gonna start charging me rent <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you are you are an entrepreneur and we are we are talking a lot about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurism in our community over this next month and I've gotten to know you just a little bit over the past maybe year or so Um you own junk luggers, Kansas city. That's mm-hmm. a That's a new startup. I'm always curious to meet new entrepreneurs and what drove them to, to start their own business and to be their own boss. It's interesting to me. I do it sort of, but it wasn't a plan. It was never a plan for me. Um, if you had asked me even up until three years ago when I'd made the move, mm-hmm. I would have said, no, I don't, I don't want to be my own boss. Um, I did it a little bit out of necessity, a little bit out of a realization that there were things I wanted to do and accomplish that I wasn't going to accomplish other ways. So I want to know a little bit from you, what kind of led you to do it? And, and it's going to be a two-parter. You know, why, why would you go out on your own and be that be that risk taker? And that right. I, I want to know that side of things too, but then also um why lugging junk <laughs> all right so so yeah. we'll start let, let, let's start with the the kind of what what drives you a little bit right. and, and, and was being your own boss was having your own business was that something you've always wanted
1: yeah yeah it is um, as far back as I can remember you know probably not to like early childhood you know when everyone wants to be an astronaut or firefighter but um, as early as I remember even in high school um, wanting to you know some when when someone would ask what are you gonna do when you grow up the answer would always be well I'm I'm gonna start or run my own businesses or my own business. And um, you know all the way to the point where when a first college recruiter was at my house asking, all right, what what program do you want to go in or what are you gonna major in? I said I want to major in business because I want to start and run my own business. Um and he ultimately, you know, had some other th- plans for for me, but it, that's as far back as I can remember. He had something that more logical and <laughs> yeah, exactly. realistic like, in yeah. his mind. Yeah, you know, the funny part was, you know, he he said something to the effect of, "Oh, you don't have the personality to run your own business. We're going to make you a programmer." And so he put me in the software track as opposed to the business track, but. Ultimately, we, we corrected, got back in the space I needed to be. But to answer your question, yeah, it was um, all the way back in, in high school, maybe even before that, I had some sort of passion or, or, or drive to to start and run my own business.
0: Do you think some of that, and and I'm going to go off of what you said, you know, he he gave you a different track because <laughs> right. there was something more realistic. And right. do you think to be a successful entrepreneur, a sec- successful with, with a startup, do you have to have a little bit of that? That 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 risk taking desire that to say, I'm not gonna go the safe route. I'm not gonna do the quote
1: unquote realistic path. Is it does it do you have to have that? Uh, to some degree, yeah. I think um maybe there's you know, like an indirect correlation or whatever. There's a, a relationship between um, the amount of risk tolerance you need to have, with the amount of planning that has to go into it. Right, the more risk averse you are, the more planning you could put into it and, and um, calculate some of those risks, try to see it around some more corners. And then ultimately, you're still going to have to take the leap. Um, you can make it a smaller leap by more planning up front, or you have the people that just in, in their dorm room or whatever, just you know, go into their office one day and say, "All right, guys, I'm done," and they'll they'll build the parachute on their way down. Um, so those people are going to have a much higher level of risk tolerance, and you know, there's just going to be some maybe less planning going into it.
0: You just said uh, dorm room business. Yeah. Um, I I know a little bit. We've talked before. Right. Um, your first business was a little bit of that kind of that in in, in the back of the dorm room. Let we have an idea and let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I mean. Um- Originally, by dorm room business, I was thinking of the Facebooks, the Dells, you know, Microsofts of the world. But, yeah, me and my roommate started a business in college where, um, kind of long version of the story, we went to a school called DeVry, which was um, more of like a, a technical institute, if you want to call it that. But no no sports, no extracurriculars, so we didn't have a football team, basketball team, anything like that. Um, but me and a roommate would work at a gym, and, and our school was right next to a school that did have a football team and basketball team. So we would see students in there, and they'd have their schools you know mascots on the shirts or whatever and so we decided to go ahead and let's start making some DeVry football t-shirts just kind of tongue-in-cheek just as a gag and um, so we started doing that and we um, the first batch we kept a few for ourselves and then we sold a couple and then um, people started seeing them and, and kind of liked it and so we were selling the DeVry football shirts and people were asking us like hey can I get these in different colors can I get long sleeves instead of short sleeves And then people were even asking for other sports. They wanted like DeVry rowing and DeVry archery and just all this funny stuff. And um, I'd like to say we had – that we were going to scale that and we are going to – that's all we did in college. But it it got to the point where we got um, kind of a a notification from the school saying, you know, it's probably not a good idea to make too much money using our name. (laughs) (laughs) So that could put an end to that one.
0: Was that your first uh, season desist?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it was. (laughs) Well, you know, let's kind of let's let's
0: fast forward a little bit. Did you did you immediately after school start looking at your own thing or did you did you follow that that kind of safer path into working for someone else?
1: Uh, you know, probably a little bit of both, right? You know, so kind of that little hybrid like we were talking about with the the risk tolerance and the planning kind of balancing each other out. Um my plan was so late in my um Late in my time at DeVry, I, I met someone who was a day trader. He was day trading the, the foreign exchange market just full-time, and I was blown away. I was like, this is great. And I was, I was too far in my program to change majors, but I did kind of pivot my master's and got it in finance. And kind of the plan all along was that, you know, eventually I'm going to learn enough about finance. I'm going to work with this guy. I'm going to do these little self-help things and, or self-study things and um, teach myself how to day trade the forex market just like this guy is and that would be you know, more of like a self-employed route than a business owner but at least I'd be working for myself and managing this fund and uh, that was kind of my my first post-college business idea um, but while I was getting my master's and until I could get to that point I was working you know the the more corporate route so I was working kind of a more traditional um, it was my my degree was at, and it was in computer information systems, so I had a lot of these technically focused jobs, like customer or customer support, business analysts. Um, things like that. but You were a code nerd. I was a code nerd. Yeah. That's
0: okay. Yeah. We can embrace, we can embrace nerddom yeah. in this area. Yep. Safe space.
1: Yeah. And so it, you know the funny thing is like, um, I don't think I've written very much code. A lot of it was um, kind of that eventually business analyst and eventually got to like a project manager and program manager, things like that. But I was like the guy from office space that takes the, the requirements <laughs> from the customer and gives it to the engineer. Like, I have the people skills. I was that guy. Right. So I wasn't actually writing a lot of code, but because I knew, because uh, I understood the process of writing code, I. You kind of play that liaison between the people who write code and the people who don't. So,
0: it's always good to have have your project manager with a foot in, yeah. in kind of both worlds right. there, there a little bit. Well, I'm curious. There's a part of me that wants to jump in, the, uh, you know, <laughs> into that day trading world right. and how you got there. But I, but I think the the better part of your story is, is your evolution from that to now. Um, so now I'm going to delve into a little bit. Fast forward past all that, and, and your decision to. To start your own business, um, and and you instead of somebody who I have an idea I'm going to launch this, you you opted to buy into a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk a little bit about that decision. Your goal all along was to have your own business, right? Um, so so talk a little bit, I guess, about how you made that decision. Where I'm going to be a franchisee? I'm going to look at, at at these business how you how you opted that route, and and then I want to get into a little bit about how you chose because I'm not everybody's thinking about hauling <laughs> off people's people's crap. Yeah. So, yep. so 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 start a little bit I guess I, how you chose okay. your route.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I mean there were a couple revelations along the way and um one of them was um kind of looking at the way people learn. And we look at a lot of professions, like whether it's a doctor or a pilot or a dentist, there was kind of three phases to learning. And the first one was um, you would watch the instructor doing all the work and this you're the pilot. So you watch the the instructor fly the plane, you're taking notes like crazy. Then that second phase is you might be behind the wheel, but that instructor is right there making you know, telling you what buttons to push when. You know, Pull this lever now, push this button now, and, and you're, you're behind the wheel, but you're not doing a whole lot of the thinking. And then that third phase is you're behind the wheel, you're, you're doing the driving, and then the instructor is just there to make sure you don't crash the plane. So um, all that time I spent in the corporate world, to me, felt like phase one, watching someone else do all the work, trying to learn as much as I could from all of the managers and, and people that I worked with. And then phase three would be taking your own idea, going, getting your own, raising your own capital, and launching your own business. So buying a franchise to me felt like phase two, where it's—I mean, you're behind the wheel, right? So it's it's my business and it's ultimately my decisions, but you still have the support of that franchisor. Kind of playing that instructor saying, right? Push this button now. Pull this lever, and 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 they they kind of give you the model, the blueprint. And especially as a as a project manager, I was used to implementation projects. So as you know, if, if someone could give me a set of requirements, I can go work with the engineering team to build that product. I kind of looked at my franchise that same way. If they gave me their little manual or their blueprint, I can go build my team and figure this out and and build this business.
0: So then, how did you choose? What kind of franchise, what specific franchise you were going to, you were going to go into? How does, how does that work?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, everyone's probably different. But for me, I, I got hooked up with someone called a franchise broker. And so in a lot of ways, I compare it to like Match.com, but for franchises. So I um, reached out to this person, said I'm interested. You swipe left or swipe right a, on a franchise? A little bit, yeah. And, and I'll kind of get into that because that, that is kind of one of the, the phases. But um, So I reached out to this broker, said I'm interested in buying a franchise. Where do we start? And she starts with a a four-piece assessment. So she looked at my work history. I even took a personality assessment. She looked at kind of what my goals long-term, and then also your financial situation. What can you afford, right? Because you might be perfectly capable of running McDonald's, but if you can't afford it, it doesn't really matter. Um, So based off of those four things she'll propose, here are maybe 20 to 30 potential fits And we need to get that list down to five. So that's where the swiping left and swiping right comes in. I mean, you're just listening to like the 30-second elevator pitch. Maybe you get on their website and you're just crossing them off the list till you get to five. And then from there, you you work it down to three. And somewhere between maybe uh, two to four, you start doing these discovery days where – you get to actually travel out to their headquarters. You get to meet some franchisees. You get to meet the franchisor. And it's kind of a two, two-way two interview. You're trying to decide whether or not you want to buy their territory and buy into the system. And they're trying to determine whether or not they want to award you a territory or let you be part of their system. Um, so there's two phases or, you know, I guess, two aspects there. But then, then there's also the um, – you're looking at it from, like, the employee side where I was actually on a truck with luggers, you know, moving furniture around as well as with some of the management side and learning, you know, how do you select the levers and how do you manage these people? So you spent time with,
0: with those
1: people. Yeah. And so, um, I did two of those discovery days and each one was two days long. So I would fly out there. There'd be a series of interviews or some activity one day, stay the night and then a series of activities the next day. And, um, so, so you know, to answer your question on what ultimately sold me on Junk Luggers, it was that discovery day. So, you know, at that point I had, I could compare the leadership team of three different franchises and I got to see some of it in action. And for me, it was like, it was the culture at Junk Luggers. I mean, that leadership team was great. The guys running it are, are phenomenal. Um, when I was on the truck with those luggers, they were excited to be back on the truck. You know, they were, it was just, it was exciting being around them. I was like, well, this is a, this is a lot more fun than I would have guessed, right? And then... Um, There's also some complementary businesses that you can tack on to junk loggers as well. And kind of someone wanted to own my own businesses or portfolio of businesses. I liked that there was some congruency there because you could go from junk removal, another company that they have is a moving company. And so there's some synergy there. You could also open your own thrift store and and you could raise money for charities and nonprofits, which was kind of nice. So I like that there are multiple revenue streams and and really what it came down to was if i was going to open any business you know no matter what it was and i had to pick the leadership team from any of these three franchises who would it be and it was junk Luggers' leadership team it really is a lot like dating <laughs> it's a lot like dating yeah <laughs> well you said one of the things
0: they looked at this this broker was they look at, at your financial situation mm-hmm. and, and so talk a little bit for for people who maybe have been through it or are looking at at going through it what prepared you to be able, you know, to be in a financial situation where you can buy in, but the, but be in a situation where not only you're buying in, but you're going to be able to support it and and run it? Was that was that a result of your your forays into the day trading? Was that how did you set yourself up for that?
1: Uh, so a lot of saving, a lot of planning and kind of calculating those risks, right? You know, I had um, a little bit of a nest egg from some of the companies I worked for. There was some stock purchase plans and the stocks had done well. Um, I had received some bonuses instead of splurging and spending and I socked it away. So I had a lot of savings to go off of, which helped. Um, I was able to work with the bank and get a little bit of, of an SBA loan. So that gave me a boost as well. And then even my previous employer allows me to keep consulting on the side. So we came up with just an hourly contractor rate, and I still manage some projects for them. Um, And there's a a commission structure as well. So I have some revenue coming in from what we call the consulting side or my consulting business. Um, I also own a small little rental property, which gives us a little extra money on the side. So um, to whatever extent I can, I try to get our, our living expenses in through those businesses so I can just sink everything else into junk luggers. That's a lot of
0: balancing. That's a <laughs> yeah. that's a big balancing act. And, and and I'm I'm curious, I think we, we, we all do it who have who have done this mm-hmm. this kind of this this jump as you called it earlier. Um mm-hmm. uh, how you how you maintain that balance between you're you're putting a lot of time, effort, money mm-hmm. into junk luggers, yet you're still you're running a rental property, mm-hmm. you're you're doing a consulting work and the rental property and the consulting work you said are that's that's what pays your Pays your living wage yeah. to, your, to yourself. So, so how do you uh, how do you how do you deal with that?
1: <laughs> uh, poorly, probably most <laughs> days. Right? <laughs> um, no, I mean you, you do what you can. And when I'm really on top of it, I'll even have like these little Excel spreadsheets that break up each day of the week and what what I should be focusing on for that portion of the day. So it might be Monday mornings I'm working on junk luggers accounts receivables. Then Monday afternoons I'm consulting or. Um, You know, that might be how I break it up. Sometimes it's multiple things throughout the day. Um, I'd like to say that's how it always works. I have my my day all planned out so I know exactly what I'm going to be working on when. doesn't always work like that. A lot of times it's just like juggling chainsaws. You just hope you get it right. Are you a list maker? Try to be, yeah. Um, and, And those definitely help, you know, especially, you know, you're asking what do you have to do to make sure you get it all done. Sometimes it's setting the alarm at 430 and waking up that extra hour or hour and a half before everyone else so I can get some work done. A lot of times it's just planning that I'm going to pull an all-nighter on. You know, I'll I'll try to plan it a couple of days ahead of time, or you know, if, if I know that, um, you know, to get the hours in that I need to, I'm going to have to pull all-nighters every Tuesday and Thursday, so I, I can plan those out. And those are the days, like when I'm waking up early or staying up late, that I really need to have a list, otherwise. You know, when you start to get tired, it's you forget. Well, what was I supposed to be working on? Was it really that important? I could do it later. But if you have that list, you kind of get that you know that adrenaline boost every time you cross something off. Just those t- Type A personalities that you get a good feeling out of crossing something off your list.
0: There, there is almost no yeah. greater feeling than yep. yeah. <laughs> than than crossing the list. I'm going to go back in, and I know I realize I'm jumping around, so I'm going to apologize to you and apologize to listeners that I'm I'm jumping here a little bit. But back to buying into into a a franchise. Is that a different kind of growth than if you had started something on your own? I know that when you get, you know, when you buy into an established thing, you're going to get all of that built-in support right. and and processes that are already built and, in,
1: and and in place. Does that does that make it a little easier for you? That was the plan going in, and, and I think to some extent it probably does. So kind of going in, the idea was um, I would take kind of this baby step and partner with a franchise who could help me and really hold my hand like a little kid getting it built. But then the idea was once I could get this thing built and, and producing some, some cash flow on its own or at least semi-passively, then you know we could really put our entrepreneur hat back on, and um, we would have two things. One, we would have this entity just generating cash flow, kind of like the rental property or whatever else. So we have this money coming in, And now we have this built-in client base as well that we can start to reach out to and then go build the next business off of that. So we might start off as the franchisee to kind of kick our shins and, and make all those little mistakes, you know, your learning curve. But then once you kind of figure out what you're doing, now you can go be the entrepreneur and go from being the franchisee to the franchisor, right? So it's like we can take the model that Junk Luggers has provided and apply that model to some other home business, or it doesn't even have to be a home service business. It's like, what can we learn from junk loggers that we can go apply to the next business? And then, you know, um, take that next stage up or that next step up, so to speak. And you are in, in two, year two or year uh, three? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it was two years, a couple months ago. So two years and a quarter.
0: So are you, are you are you in that phase where you're starting to look ahead now? Or are you are are you still feel like you're you're in the I need to I need to build up my customer base.
1: It, it's I I still feel like there's some building we need to do. Maybe not necessarily the client the customer base, but there's a, there are a couple more pieces we need to have in place before I feel like we'll re, we'll be ready for that point. And a lot of it's operational, right? I think that we're maybe one or two good team leads away from being able to trust them with more of the operations. Um, and then there's some administrative stuff that I think that, you know, I've been looking more at virtual assistants or maybe some sort of like part-time help that can help us that if we can get those in place, I think we can put together some incentive programs that can, um, really incentivize the right kind of behavior we want from our luggers. So between the incentive program and some good team leads, I think, um once those pieces are in place then maybe junk loggers will be at a better spot to go ahead and say all right well let's let's see what this puppy can do on its own while we maybe take focus our attention at least some of our attention somewhere else
0: how much do you feel like you have to be always thinking that those those steps ahead and and again i think that's probably another balancing act kind of right. kind of question because you need to focus on what's in front of you yep. as you as you as you build the brand and and, and grow that business but but for your future plans and your future goals, you said earlier you know, you want to have multiple businesses in your yeah. portfolio. So how much are, are you having to, to constantly be looking forward?
1: Uh, I mean all the time in one respect or another. So you know, we have multiple roadmaps. So we have kind of a 10-year roadmap on some goals that we want to have met by 10 years from now. And then we work our way backwards, you know, what's a, what, so what is that five-year roadmap? Or where do we have to be in five years if we're going to hit those 10 years? And so, th- I mean, that 12-month roadmap is going to have the highest resolution. That's where you get down to, like, the actual to-do lists, whereas that three- and five-year roadmap is more like a generality. Like, you know, we, we kind of need to get here. We need to have these pieces in place. But it's not like you have the actual job description written or you have, like, a specific maybe revenue targets or, you know, even business names in mind. So, and you're always looking forward with how what we do or... What we want to accomplish in the next three years. What do we have to have done in the next six months or twelve months to to get us moving in that direction?
0: Is that three year, five year look ahead? Is that specific to junk luckers or is that, or is that in a broader sense your your other yeah. goals included?
1: Well, it's a little bit of both. So I mean, it, it starts with what what do I want the portfolio to look like in five years. And then part of that is well, what does junk luggers need to look like to get us there? You know, I kind of talked about like we need junk luggers to be producing enough cash flow and at least self-sufficient enough before we can even, you know, um, entertain business number two. So first things first, let's get junk luggers going, and then once we get it to where we think it um, is doing its thing, we can start to divert some of that attention. Then let's go ahead and look at business number two. That's not to say that we kind of have some ideas in mind of what business number two is, but a lot of the um, you know whether it's option 2a 2b or 2c it's going to be determined on what we learn from junk Luggers' customer base or what we learn in the meantime from customer that we could apply to the next business
0: i would be remiss if i didn't if i didn't kind of circle back to the mm-hmm. community here a, a little bit since we are on on all of our <laughs> LinkedIn sound products we're <laughs> right. talking about entrepreneurism this this month tell me a little bit about did, you were able to have have some, some mentorship and some support mm-hmm. help here in the community. Tell me about how you kind of sought that out mm-hmm. and, and and what you've learned.
1: Yeah. So the way I sought it out was, um, you know, I think any new business or at least the type of business we were in, um, there was a benefit to being a member of the Chamber of Commerce and whatever networking groups you could be a part of. Velocity is another good one. Um, but at some point you can make all the connections. And when you get to the point where you're just talking to the same people about the same stuff at all the meetings, it's time to do something different. And so when I got to that point, I want to become a little more involved. So I asked um, to be on different committees, or I want to be on boards and things like that. And Velocity has been a good one, right? So uh, I'm on the events committee for, for the Velocity program. What kind of
0: support is Velocity providing to, to people like you?
1: Okay. So the big one for me is the education series. You know, they have events, or I should say we have events every other month, right? So You can I, say we. Yeah, we. So we have events every month. Um, every other month, so let's just say the odd number of months, there's a, a specific topic where we're going to bring in a speaker or a panel of speakers to talk about it could be budgeting or forecasting it could be uh, tax prep legal entity setup, things like that and then the other months so the alternating months it's just kind of a networking social so it's a place to meet other businesses find out what other people are working on and then really see and this is so this has been a big one for me but find out you know a lot of these other business owners have encountered the same thing that the same stuff that I'm running into so how did they uh, maneuver some of those things or what do they do when they get to those points um, so there's a lot of ed- education you get from just even those networking events and finding out what's going on in their businesses and what they're doing.
0: Was it important for you to find that kind of mentor relationship? Have you uh, have you kind of connected with one or two people specifically around town that 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 that, that you can go to?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, so. Are we doing specific names? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So um, we one in particular. We'll talk bad about him in the oh, next yeah, show. Yeah. So um, one in particular has been uh, John Kendiff. And he's been a great resource for me. So he owns Weedman. And he's both a franchisee and a franchisor. I think in in Weedman, they call it maybe a master franchisee or whatever. There's a a term for it. But basically, whereas I just bought the Kansas City market for junk luggers, John, I think, essentially bought basically the whole Midwest for Weedman. And now he can resell some of those territories. But then he's ultimately responsible for the success or failure of the people who buy those territories. So he's both a franchisee and a franchisor. And so he's been a great resource because you know he's hired other franchisees and he's helped them grow their businesses and he's seen what works, what doesn't, and some of those kind of early indicators of success or failure. And so being able to learn from him on what he's seen and what he's coached other people through has been a huge help. But then also you know if business two A is going to be, we want to be more of a franchisor than a franchisee, he can provide some perspective on that as well. Um, another one's been Chip Moxley. Uh, you know he's been a, a great resource. Um, he owns Tingle Flooring uh, out north of town. Um, I don't get to talk to him as much, but when I do, it's very educational. And, and he's he's done us a couple of favors, which, which um, I'm real thankful for. Uh, ben Rayo is another big one. Uh, You're not allowed to talk good about Ben. Okay, then we'll just move on. Uh, <laughs> it, it only feels appropriate that if we just talk about Ben, I should talk about DJ Good. Um, uh, um, and th- there's a lot more we could keep going on the list and I feel like I'm gonna leave someone out who's gonna get offended
0: well i, I and I think more than more than names i was j i kind of was more curious mm-hmm. about the community and it seems like with groups like velocity and I think mm-hmm. the chamber is making some um, specific efforts as as well that there is is a growing effort to to support mm-hmm. and um grow is, is is probably the best word that entrepreneurial community would. You know, we made we made fun of Ben Rayo <laughs> right. just yeah. now. We're, we're sitting in the studio at Bridge Space. I am a member there. It's a great home yeah. for for people like like us. Okay. So I, I was just curious as to as to who you were meeting and kind of the role that the community was playing, because mm-hmm. you do need other support.
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and, and especially as a you know solopreneur, you know if if, if you're in a, a business where you're the only one, it's going to get lonely or for one. So sometimes it's nice to just have a sounding board. Um, you know, it could be on a bad day, you need a vent. Everyone, yeah, you know, that's nice. I left some steam. Or it could also be, I have an idea. I want to bounce off of someone. Maybe you could get um, their opinion on they've tried something similar, maybe what worked or what didn't. Um, and just, you know, anytime you could talk to someone who, who's been there, who's got to the other side and they're just, they have their successful business because, you know, they're going to have a lot of stories. And if you can listen to any of those and, and learn from them, it's going to be time well spent.
0: And that's where, I, and I'll say that's where I've enjoyed mm-hmm. coming in and working out of British space. Like you said, you you can only do so much by yourself in yeah. your room in your home office, <laughs> right? And so the the two things I missed were were just voices, other voices around, um, and then someone who can kind of smack me in the back of the head, when, you know, when I when when yeah. I need it, whether it's whether it's help me you know, hold me accountable to, to, to a goal that I've set, or even just sometime when, you know, when you're by yourself, everything you write on that whiteboard is genius. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you need someone to rein you in a little bit and, and, and say, well, maybe that's, that's overreaching or, or try a different path. And, and I think that that's helpful.
1: Yeah. Well, it's hard to brainstorm by yourself, too. You know, every idea on that whiteboard, while it might be genius, sometimes even just having a second opinion can make it that much better. Right. Right. Like, oh, this is a great idea. What if you also did this? Or what if you did this? And so um, sometimes having someone just to bounce those crazy ideas off of makes them crazier, but makes them more worthwhile.
0: So what is, is let's let, as, we, as we kind of wrap up here, what is what is the next step for the Kakuski portfolio? <laughs>
1: um, so I, I think that once I can get some of those pieces in place for junk luggers, then um, I'll be able to take my hands out of some of the operational stuff and some of the administrative stuff. And then that will free me up to do more of the consulting work. And um, right now that's just been, um, we're, we're, we have some interesting projects kind of in the pipeline that I'm looking forward to working on. And if we can build some of those in a scalable way, it'll be nice to see if we can turn that into kind of a little residual revenue stream. Um, it, as it turns out, we had a junk lugger client who owned a, um, I guess she, she owns like a day trading academy. It's basically a website that for a monthly membership, you get access to all their their um, study material on how to day trade. Not unlike what I was uh, a member of when I was a lot younger. Um but I showed her some of the the training videos that I've done for my other consulting client, and some of the vid- even the educational videos I did for trading back in college, and they offered um, you know some sort of uh, program where if I were to put together some sort of um, study guide or course on day trading, they could handle the management, the distribution of it, and then there'd be some sort of profit share on the other end. So you know, getting something like that in place would be pretty neat as well. That'd be fun. Yeah.
0: You know, a lot of what we do on these podcasts, um, especially through all of Link to Lee Summit, but, but specifically on these podcasts is we like to encourage and celebrate community involvement. Mm-hmm. I know you just finished a, a recycling effort where you partnered with several other local companies. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about what draws you to that and, and if you have other things in the works.
1: Okay. So, yeah, the what draws me to it is just it's fun, right? And and I, it sounded corny when I was explaining to him at the time, but it was kind of neat that Ah, uh, for that recycling event, it was us and maybe three or four other businesses just got together and we were able to pull off this event that I think was a benefit to the community. And um, it was just neat to see that to see a couple businesses take you know one one weekend out of their their month or their year to to just do something good for the community. And it sounds corny, but uh, and I don't really know how to articulate it very well. But um, it just, it, it's worth it. And so if, if you have a small business here in town or even a big business, find some events like that that you could be a part of. Um, we're hoping to make that recycling event a, a two-time-a-year event. So we, we did our first one in the spring. This one in the fall was our second one. Then we'll be playing our next one in the spring again. Um, and you know, kind of some of the other events, You know, there's there are a lot of great causes here in town. So Lee Summit Social Services is one. Hillcrest is another. Coldwater, I'm sure there are plenty more that I'm not thinking of. But there are a lot of great causes here in town. And if you have the, the time or the energy or the resources or anything else, it's worth it just to go um, you know, volunteer for a weekend, make a donation. Uh, it could be monetary, but you know, I think they, they, they need the donations, just as much of clothing or food or furniture. Um, so just help out. Well, Seth, I wish you luck. And thank you again for coming in. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: talk to people about shopping local the importance of shopping local here's one great reason about shopping local is that you know the people you're doing business with they're your friends they're your neighbors they're people you go to church with people you hang out with there's no better example of that than today's sponsor bunch of blinds this local company is always making themselves available to help the greater community hey not only are they great people in the community but they also are great at their business so when you need blinds or shades for your windows, interior decorating, they've got bedding, they've got headboards, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff, and the coolest thing, we always talk about this one, they even have some blinds that you can control with apps on your phone or with your voice to the Alexa or the Google. They are super cool. That is cool. Hey, check them out right in the heart of our city in downtown Lee Summit, budget blinds of Lee Summit. 239 Southeast Main Street.